Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Hello. Do you have questions about the healthcare industry? Well, welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Dr. Dominic Bumberg, the Translational Innovation Lead at Biopharmaceuticals, and Dr. Matthias Rosberg, who's the Business Unit Head of Oncology and Hematology at Vital. We're asking, how is precision medicine transforming cancer care? I'm Sue Saville. Thank you for joining this conversation. So let's start with the basics then. Dominic, let me ask you, what exactly is precision oncology? Thank you, Sue. And uh, in essence, precision oncology means it's the right therapy for the right patient in the right dose and at the right time. In other words, therapy tailored to the individual tumor and not just one therapy to everyone. Now, this can result in very different approaches. For example, we may develop targeted therapies that block aberrantly activated signaling pathways within tumor cells, which are usually the root cause of the disease. There can also be therapies that selectively deliver the drug to the tumor because they recognize tumor-specific molecules on the surface of the tumor cells and then deliver the drug there accurately and precisely. Or it may be as well that we activate the immune system to recognize the tumor and then destroy them. So these are very different approaches and they all have a precision modality in there. But if we talk in a narrower sense, actually, about precision oncology, then it's about recognizing the changes in the tumor's genomic makeup and understand what drives the tumor growth and then trying to switch off precisely these drivers of uh, tumor growth in order to achieve a maximum therapeutic benefit with few side effects. And so as each of the cancers manifest uh, differently across different diseases, and of course, in each patient, then can there be a, a one size fits all for treatment therapies? Or do you need to make changes to that now, Dominic? Now, so of course, it would be great in a dream if there could be one therapy that would kind of treat successfully each and every cancer. And we have made great progress in the past decades in understanding how cancer develops and how it should be treated. Now, there are various types of cancer which will be treated better and better in the next few years. However, at the same time, we are coming to realize that cancer is in fact not one, but many different diseases with different causes, pathways and mechanisms of disease progressions which we understand increasingly better thanks to technological advances in the field over the last 20 or 30 years. And to give you a feeling for that, we estimate that there are as many as 200 different forms of cancer. So therefore, it is obvious that we cannot have one therapy for all cancers. But in addition to more traditional and well-known treatment forms, just as chemotherapy and radiotherapy, we need new therapies that detect these subtypes of cancer in a targeted and increasingly differentiated manner in order to generate the best possible outcome and effectiveness with few side effects. So in essence, one can say is there is not one cancer, there cannot be one therapy that is able to conquer all cancers alike. 
And uh, Matthias, bringing you in here then, when you're looking for the specific drivers then that each patient has, what accounts for the differences, whether it's the different type of cancer itself or perhaps how each patient absorbs it, metabolizes it, responds to treatment? What, what sort of things are the drivers that make it all different for each of us, Matthias? It's a very good question. And building on what Dominic has just pointed out, for a particular patient, it's rather irrelevant, meanwhile, whether the tumor originates in the breast, in the lung or in the colon, it's more, the question is not where did it arise, uh, but it's rather more the question of what makes it grow and from what did it originate molecularly. So not the organ, but the genetic background in the disorder, what caused the tumor. And as a result, what is the underlying driver, if you would wish, which is causing the tumor growing? And uh, therefore, we need to apply genomic testing. But if we take it like genomic testing is the key to unravel the underlying mutational driver of the disease, just already today, we could somehow then, if we would apply it to all the patients, get 30% roughly of them treated with innovative uh, targeted treatments precision oncology uh, as the overall claim. And uh, if you look into the next decade of research, you may very well speculate that in the next years to come, we will unravel more and more mutational drivers which are causing cancer. And that maybe in 10 years, we can have solutions for 50, 60, maybe 70% or more of the patients once we have unraveled the cause of the disease. Let's pick up then on that point there, Matthias, about the genomic testing then, um, the biomarkers then that test the blood, the tissue, the tumor or, or DNA. It's a complex matter and perhaps not accessible evenly across Europe. What, what are the barriers to making sure that those diagnostics are there? Um, the barriers are plentifold. First of all, I would say, from my perspective, at least it's a matter of awareness at the time being, because precision oncology is very new, although we have some of the targets already diagnosed since years, but we have only have had in hand a couple of treatments available. But now as this research around precision oncology is accelerating broadly, more and more targets are discovered and more and more treatments are then directed against these targets. But it's still a matter of awareness, which is preventing broader use. And this starts as well with genomic sequencing. So the next generation sequencing, which is only occasionally applied as we speak and should be a standard of care definitely already today, if you ask me. But at least in a couple of years, it should be standard of care that each and every tumor patient, once he gets a visible tumor, then gets a genomic testing to diagnose the underlying driver mutation. And it's at best, we have already then a compound which is perfectly targeted against this underlying driver. That would be the future picture. But as of today, as we have all this already in place, it's to me at least, I don't know what Dominic may add to that, but at least when I take it from my perspective, I would say that awareness is key, that more stakeholders in the uh, healthcare environment 
being it not only the physicians or the pharmaceutical industry, but as well the HTA bodies and so on, uh, are really able and capable of the new technology that it's a valuable tool for the patient. Dominic, what do you make of that then? What, what do you see as any barriers to access to extend this uh, genomic sequencing for diagnostics? Yeah, so I definitely would like to echo what uh, Matthias just said, because typically we focus um, on the side of new drug developments, uh, new therapies, and there we're making great um, progress, uh, definitely with every year new targeted precision medicine drugs coming to the market. But with this continuous progress in therapies, it seems possible, but also becomes more and more important that we indeed then take advantage of that by analyzing the genomic signature of the tumor um, for the great majority of patients. And there indeed is an awareness, not only on the patient, there it starts, but also on the treating physicians and, of course, on the um, health organizations to foster that and support it because this will not only lead then to better understanding of cancer, driving biology, pathways and, and mechanisms, but it will also help to navigate the sequence of potential treatments for the great majority of patients because a tumor is continuously evolving and changing. And therefore, it is not sufficient then to rely on a diagnosis on a genomic makeup that was made five or 10 years ago. But as soon as, unfortunately, a patient may relapse and come back, one has to look again because now it may be a totally different driver that causes and drives the disease. And it is of utmost importance not to continue just with, let's say, conventional or previous therapies, but really look, what can we do now? Because while the ultimate goal is, of course, the prevention and the cure of cancer, in those cases, and there are many as of today and for some time where this is not possible, these precision therapies may allow to control the cancer with a good quality of life to some extent comparable to other chronic diseases um, like asthma or arthritis or alike. And Matthias, do you want to pick up on that then? So many of the benefits there outlined by Dominic. What else would you say are the benefits of bringing precision oncology to the wider market for, for patients and indeed for healthcare systems? Yes, maybe for the audience as well, which is because precision oncology is maybe a black box, which you need to bring closer and uh, allow me first uh, to, to start with an analogy. Uh, what is precision oncology? Because everybody knows about chemotherapy. So chemotherapy is broadly used, as Dominic pointed out, and everybody in the world has a relative uh, who was affected somehow and has gotten the impression of what burdensome treatments to heal this disease may look like in the patient. Uh, so it comes at a cost, if you wish. So it has side effects, which are sometimes really devastating. And that picture everybody has very well aware. Uh, if you now talk about precision oncology, how can you compare that and what's the innovation here? Is like if you compare, for example, I like very much analogies. So one of the analogies which you can could guess of is to compare it with a, that chemotherapy is more than a watering can. And the precision oncology would then mean the targeted water jet. So what do I mean by that? If you if you would like to water a particular plant, you can do that with a watering can, but you will hit the surroundings as well. And whether desired or not desired, but that's a matter of fact. And that would be chemotherapy. If you now take precision oncology, it would be more 
the water jet where you really can spare the surrounding plants or in, in tumor, the surrounding tissue, which you don't want to target from all the side effects which may occur. And that's exactly what precision oncology delivers to the patient. So it comes at very low cost in terms of side effects and therefore maintains the quality of life because it's not a question only for the patient. Do I live longer or do I get my disease cured? But it's as well on the way to that, do I have quality of life preserved and do I maintain my health status per se and am able to follow just regular life? So that I wanted to explain because precision oncology is kind of a black box to many people which I speak to, which are not in the pharmaceutical industry. And that helps to understand what it's all about. And then uh, if you take that on a, on a more general level, is that you would say that with providing precision oncology treatment to a broad uh, patient population, you would spare not only the side effects, what I said, but you could as well on the same end maintain, for example, their working capabilities or just for the normal family life and all this. You could, you could really maintain their normal life while being treated at the same time. And this treatment on top of that is more efficient. We know from clinical studies that we have better survival rates if we do it with a targeted approach rather than with a broad chemotherapy approach, for example. And that's to the benefit of all of them. How does this then fit in with uh, Europe's Beating Cancer Plan, which talks about better access to diagnostics, better access to treatment? Uh, this is very exciting, innovative medicine, therapeutics and uh, diagnostics. How does that fit in? Do you see this uh, in the landscape of the Europe's Beating Cancer Plan? Dominic, what would you say? Yes, I think this is really a, a critical initiative, in my opinion, and it's time now that we really bring cancer treatment into the next level, not only from the research and discovery perspective, but then also from the patient's um, perspective in taking advantage by really getting access to the opportunity to getting a tailored, what we call then precision oncology targeted treatment in that regard. And for that, it is really important not only to have the armamentarium of different cancer therapies, but then really to analyze precisely the tumor in order then um, to have for every patient uh, within the European community, then really the opportunity to get the best possible treatment and not, let's say, the most convenient or uh, the most established therapy because the landscape is rapidly moving and we cannot rely on treatments or schedules and experiences from 10 or 20 years ago. Matthias, what would you say? Do you think the Beating Cancer Plan supports precision oncology? Yes, absolutely. And it comes at the right time, uh, as well as Dominic pointed out earlier in the conversation. is The united approach for what all of the stakeholders stand is to bring really the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. That was Dominic's words in the opening. And the uh, European Beating Cancer Plan is perfectly picking that up at the time. So the right initiatives in there, so basically something like uh, uh, the funded project on Horizon Europe, will identify priorities for research, and not only on the pharmaceutical company side, but as well on the academic center side, uh, to unite, as I said, all the capabilities which we have, 
for the diagnosis and treatment and ultimately for the cancer prevention, because the best thing we can achieve is just to prevent that cancer occurs. But that's really, uh, it's in a couple of words, a very ambitious goal and objective, what we are setting. But to me, this initiative doesn't come, well, I'm always a front runner in that sense. And I would wish that we would have been already able to bring that a couple of years earlier to life. But nevertheless, it's the sweet spot now. And we're getting more and more treatments. So it's now or never. And I hope that we will be able to get enough funds behind all these initiatives and plans to really move ahead. And then one of the critical issues, which we discussed earlier is as well, to raise the awareness that this is really an important milestone to achieve in future cancer treatment. And both of you have worked most, perhaps all of your careers in oncology, seen a few changes, I dare say, over the years. Um, I'm wondering how exciting you find this development of precision oncology and where you think it might take things in the future, Dominic. Yeah, so I must say, and, and indeed, and as of today, I'm still working now for three decades uh, then in, in cancer um, research, both sides academically and then um, in, in the pharmaceutical um, industry. I'm excited um, and for sure have not uh, getting weary uh, then about this uh, difficult fight. Yes, we learn every day that cancer is a real enemy and it's not kind of a trivial disease, but we learn more tricks of cancer cells, escape mechanisms, uh, resistances, and so on. But I think we have made great progress, despite from the outside, it may look like that the war on cancer that was proposed by Nixon kind of, uh, we will not achieve the eradication, but we have made so much improvements and uh, progress um, in there. And I would say that the next decade has the potential to become a transformational decade because indeed we may for the first time, I think also in adult cancer types, have the chance to really have long-term complete eradications. I'm always careful with the word cure, but really to have very long, maybe lifelong eradication of tumors. If we take advantage of all the new knowledge, the new technologies, the new drugs, and then really the application to the right patients and have that in a joint effort. So therefore, I'm thrilled about the next decade. That's very exciting. And Matthias, you too, are you thrilled? Yeah, I'm not uh, three decades in the business, but <laughs> dedicated for more than two decades already into oncology, among others. And I am absolutely thrilled. And I can only echo what Dominic was pointing out. And if I can give you one example, when I entered the arena of cancer and oncology, always on the pharmaceutical side, uh, company side, then lung cancer, for example, was a devastating diagnosis. Patients did not leave after diagnosis more than three to six months. And it, it was a terrible end for all those patients. Now, 20 years later, lung cancer has become kind of a model for modern and innovative cancer treatment because we know a majority of patients are getting tested genomically in there already which is again a role model because there are many other tumors where this is not standard of care today. And as a result, many lung cancer patients get very tailored treatments and it's common sense already as well covered by guidelines and get much better survival rates than you would ever have guessed 10 years ago. And that to me uh, really begs the claim that every oncology patient, and I point that out again because it's close to my heart, 
every single oncology patient, the sooner the better should get access to get his tumor tested genomically. And then by this diagnosis, as a result and consequence, get the best available treatment at hand, which is not causing side effects. And this will become a standard of care. And I'm fighting on a day-by-day -day basis that this is sooner rather than later. Well, thank you both very much indeed. My guests, Dr. Dominic Mumberg, Dr. Matthias Rosberg, thank you so much for those insights. And thank you very much for listening to 19 Conversations. If you liked this podcast, then please click the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and a review. So until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye for now.